0: This broadcast of the PJC Media Network seeks to present wholesome, thought-provoking, and entertaining content. However, the views expressed by the hosts of PJC Media are theirs and theirs alone. They do not reflect the views of this network or its affiliates. Please utilize listener discretion. everyone and welcome to the let's talk about it with jenny white show each week we feature different topics concerning issues that sometimes can be difficult to talk about these issues concern children and adults who may be autistic have asperger's or have mental disorders of any kind we will discuss law enforcement and how they interact with these persons now let's start the show Good evening, good evening, and thank you for being here. Let's talk with Jenny White. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the president of Wrinkle Financial Strategies has been in the financial services industry for over 35 years. He has advances playing, planning specialists for cousin focusing primarily on helping retirees codet their access to optimize social security. One of my passions is Black history, along with working with young people as a mentor going into my eighth year with Midnight Golf. And with the next thing, I will introduce you to my co-host, Mr. Coleman. How you doing, Mr. Coleman?
1: Good afternoon, Jenny White. How are you?
0: I'm fine. Thank you. So you want to introduce your
1: person? Yes, uh, today we'll be talking with uh, David Rankin, uh, and as Jenny uh, White said, he's the uh, president of Rankin Financial Strategies, um, and he's been in the financial services uh, industry for over 35 years uh, as an advanced planning specialist and focusing primarily on helping retirees coordinate their assets to optimize their Social Security. And um, he's a good friend of mine, and one of the things uh, with David is uh, he's a black history historian. I mean, he, he'll come up with some black history facts, you know, that you never heard of before. So I figured uh, this would be a great opportunity to speak with him today. We'll have a great conversation regarding uh, some black history and other things, and uh, we'll kind of... See is David is David with us uh, now? Is he on the line?
0: Um, Mr. Rankin, can you do me a favor? If you're on the line,
1: David, just yeah, push number
0: one.
1: Yes. Yeah, if you're there, Dave, just push number one on the phone, and we'll uh, we'll bring you on. But, yeah, there we um, go. Uh, okay. okay. Right. right. Okay. Uh,
2: good. Hey. All, hey,
0: right, all right. How, how, you, how doing? Are
2: you doing? I'm we don't want to doing leave good. you thank out. You. You. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for that uh, glowing introduction as well. I appreciate it. I'm okay. like, I want to meet that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs>
1: yeah, no problem, man. Uh, yeah. Like I said, uh, you know, the the numerous conversations that we've had, you know, uh, regarding Black history and. And the ones that I've sat in on that you, you know, you've uh, talked about, I figured this would be a great opportunity, even though we celebrate uh, black history uh, 365 days uh, a year, you know. Yeah, not just just the 28 days in February, but uh, we're highlighting um, our black history this month for sure. And so uh wanted to give you an opportunity to uh, share with us uh, some of your knowledge and uh and uh enlighten us um and our listeners and, and kind of go from there. So uh what did you uh have on your agenda for today? Well,
2: uh it just depends on where you start. And I guess right. when I think about starting um I go back to my first knowledge of when it kind of began back actually in the 1500s we know it's 1619 but i um i watched henry gates documentary it's a six-hour documentary on african-americans many rivers to cross if anyone has seen that okay. and um the, the first one he speaks to is antonio the slave that um and and i got my notes here in front of me just because it's just so much that uh oh yeah time. Oh, oh yeah Trying to, trying to remember it all. And I think he became Antonio Johnson later, but he was recognized as one of the first that uh, came over, and I believe he was in Virginia. Um, mm-hmm. one, of my, one of my favorites is uh, Thomas Fuller, and um, he was I want to say he was born in 19, I'm sorry, 1710. 1710, and, and when I go back over to our history, I look at it, I say, well, you know, 1800s, we learned quite a bit, 1700s, a little diluted, and the 1600s, I haven't come across much, right? and I, I okay. understand why, you know, yeah, I understand why, but uh, Thomas Fuller was considered a human calculator. He couldn't read or write, but he was a mathematical savant. And his slave owners couldn't believe it because they would, um, they would ask him to calculate, for example, two years, six months, three weeks, five days, and tell us how many seconds that was. And it took him a little over two minutes to come up with the answer, and, and they couldn't believe it. And they tried him again one day at a later age with a different timeline. And when he came up with the number, the, the slave uh, master or one of the white guys that was there, he was doing the math. And he said, no, that's wrong. That's not correct. And so um, Fuller reminded him that he had to calculate in the leap years. And so when he wow. went back and did the leap years, yeah, he discovered that he was actually correct. But uh, just one of wow. those names that you, um, you just don't hear about. Uh, and another name, uh, and you know, uh, Mace. We we we've been together with Midnight Golf. That's how We came together, and I share this with these with these young people. Um, Wentworth Cheswell, if you've ever heard that name, Wentworth Cheswell. Okay. okay. What where he's associated with is Paul Revere. We know about Paul Revere. Okay. British are coming. Well, Paul Revere rode north. Wentworth Cheswell drove West, letting them know the British were coming. Um, okay. He also became a politician a little later on. So uh, I'm, I'm going to stop and, and take a breath for a minute in case somebody else wants to add anything or have any question or want to talk, elaborate any on this, anything that I've said so far.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to, uh, you know, last, uh, last week we talked about uh, several you know, black history facts. And uh, one of them was uh, Jimmy Winkfield, who was a jockey that won the uh, Kentucky Derby uh, two years in a row, 1901 and 1902. Uh, So we, you know, were able to talk about him. Uh, We also discussed uh, Friedman's Bank, uh, one of the largest bank bank heists uh regarding black people's uh money you know once the uh civil war uh was ended, and the congress uh established a bank um and it was uh you know that's where they paid the the uh, black uh union, the union soldiers out of that account and um they also uh promoted it. As being black owned, even though it, it wasn't, and uh, it stole and in, in today's money, which would be uh, close to around 80 million dollars, um, mm. and were never held accountable. So, you know, we uh, we discussed those things and just um, the fact of um, what being black in America means, uh, the fact mm-hmm. that um. The establishment system uh, systemically has been set up to keep black people uh at the bottom as laborers and uh, it has never been uh set up uh for black people to succeed or be successful. you know you'll have uh those that will um, uh make it out you know so to speak um, but Uh, as a group it has been uh, the systems have been set up uh, for blacks to be you know laborers and uh, uh, for the economy to be built on the backs of um, black and brown people Um, and so I think uh, once that is understood uh, you know that there's not a level playing field I think you know uh, our approach should be a little different, and the way that we educate our children uh, should be a little different in terms of uh, their life and how they set up uh, their lives, you know. I think, you know, you can look at life as a treadmill, and I think, you know, a lot of us have been on the treadmill, and I think, you know, going from, uh the mass incarceration, uh the last thirty years, uh and um and, you know, and then the Jim Crow prior to that, you know, uh, I think that uh, each organ you know, each group uh or each generation has had its own struggles, uh, in regards to being black in America and uh you know we had the civil rights movement in the 60s which you know allowed us uh a lot of uh i guess newfound freedoms uh to integrate you know with the uh with with the, the white society but i think uh we lost a lot uh when we integrated i think we were quite successful you know when we were uh <laughs> um you know not integrated i think you know when we had our own uh stores in our, our communities and gas stations and they were all black owned uh, i think that we had to you know lean and support uh one another when you know our doctors and teachers all stayed in the neighborhood and when na- we were neighbors i think that uh we leaned on each other but i think once uh uh, segregation ended, uh, and we were able to integrate, uh, I think a lot of us, uh, moved out of our neighborhoods and, um, you know, I think that we, we felt that, uh, the white people's life was colder and, you know, um, and then I'll just share this and then I, you know, I'll have you speak on it. Um, I saw, uh, I think it was a documentary or something. And, um, they showed a uh, white water fountain for whites only. And it was, uh, it looked like a big uh, cooler, uh, but it had ice in it, whites only, you know. And then the black one, you know, w- w- was water. I mean, if it's 80, 90 degrees outside, but you know, it
0: was hot.
1: Hey, you know, the water, the water ain't cold because it ain't got ice in it, so. You know, that term, you know, uh, people thinking that, you know, the white man's uh, water is colder, ice is colder, you know, gave light to me what that term really meant, you know, literally. Um, So what are some of your thoughts in regards to um, progress of black people, you know, uh, and you can start, you know, you can speak on uh, from civil rights one of our civil rights. You can speak on, um, you know, the Civil War, you know, uh, when slavery Mm -hmm. ended and and the progress that we made, you know, before Reconstruction took place. uh, Or you can just jump in anywhere in between and and speak on um, any of the atrocities that have taken place or uh, some of the successes we've had. Well, you know, you touched on a few things and I was
2: trying to write them down as you were speaking to them. Um, and you talked about the financial side. One of the, or well, the first black-owned bank was by William Washington Brown. He was a former slave. And on March 2nd in 1888, he started the first black-owned bank, true reformer bank in Richmond, Virginia. Then um, in 1903, Maggie L. Walker, on November 2nd, 1903, started the St. Luke Penny Savings Bank in Richmond Jackson Ward, Virginia, and uh, right. later on, Jesse Binga in 1908 founded the first black privately owned African-American bank in Chicago. Now, I can talk a little bit about Wall Street and several other um towns and, and communities that we established that were our own. And mm. one of the things that's always bugged me is, you know, back in the day, back during during all these times in the 1800s and 1900s, white folks wanted us to, you know, they wanted segregation. You know, you you all go live over there. We all right. You, you know, we don't want you over here mm-hmm. in our stuff, right? right? As soon as we do that, when we do that, and do better than they expect us to do, they come along and burn us out. Yeah, that's true. And every single one of them, every single one of those burnings was on the alleged, alleging that a white, a a black man raped a white woman. And it was Mm -hmm. all false.
0: Yeah. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. That's what they propped up as their reason for burning out our communities. But you didn't want us in your community. We right. get our own started, do well, then you want to burn us out. Um, I was, uh, I did a, I, I spoke to some high schoolers yesterday, and I was so impressed with a couple of these young ladies that knew quite a bit about our history, and you know, we know they're trying to whitewash it now. You know, the, the, the oh, yeah. same grandparents. You know, the same grandparents that threw rocks at Ridge, Ruby Bridges are now not wanting their grandkids to know they were the ones throwing them rocks. You mm. know, right. <laughs> uh, but but the, uh, I had a couple of them participate when I started talking about Black Wall Street. They knew the name of the gentleman, uh, O.W. Gurley, Ottawa Gurley, that started Black Wall Street. Um, J.B. Stratford, who we partnered with, that just uh, blossomed Black Wall Street. Um, the the young man and how that, that massacre, I, I've told him, don't let anybody ever tell you that that was a riot. That was never a riot. That was a massacre. But mm-hmm. the young man that um, was involved in how that got triggered, his name was Dick Rowland. And I hadn't heard anybody ever mention that name except for one of the young ladies in, uh, in yesterday's session. He was a young oh, man boy. Yeah, she mentioned she knew his name, and what happened, if you're not familiar with the story, he was a shoe shine boy and, and you know, shining white folks' shoes in a nice building, but if he had to go to the restroom, he had to go down the street and take the elevator up to the fourth floor for the color section, which, you know, probably wasn't the nicest area anyway, but mm-hmm. to take that elevator, her name was Sarah Page. Now, Dick Rowland was a teenager. Sarah Page was a teenager. She was the elevator operator. So as she's as he's on the elevator with her, and you know we're talking eighteen. I'm sorry, 1921, when the elevator jumped, and we've been on elevators today that has probably done that, or you've been on one the older elevator, you know, right? Jump. Oh yeah. So when the elevator, yeah, when it jumped, he bumped into her,
3: and you know
2: she's the elevator. Uh-oh. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> After that happens, she comes running off the elevator, screaming and howling about how he touched her.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Well, okay. they,
2: mm-hmm. they arrested him. And um, when they arrested him, you know, a small mob, start, a, a, a white, started to gather around the jail because they want to come get him. First, he was about 25. I'll fast forward. That grew to a 1,000.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So... When, when O.W. Gurley and J.B. Stratford found out about this, they made um, some of the veterans aware, some of the, some of the black veterans that were living in Greenwood right next door to Tulsa, but it was Greenwood was what, what got really burnt out. They made them aware mm-hmm. that they had, uh, had this young man down there, so they put on uniform and in formation marched to the jail so that they could protect the young brother. Well, they told him at the, at the jailhouse, oh, he's going to be all right, don't worry about it, da-da-da-da-da, so they left. And I after they left, they just didn't feel right, and they came back. Mm-hmm. Well, in the meantime, this mob is growing more and more. So when they come back, you know, they're coming back with rifles. And mm-hmm. the white right guys are, you know, mm-hmm. like, you're know, you coming back with a rifle, boy? You know, nigga, what you doing with this mm-hmm. rifle? I'm sorry. Can I say that? No, that's fine. Nigga? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know what they said, right? So what ends up happening, um, one of the white guys goes to snatch the rifle out of the hand of one of these black soldiers, and the rifle goes off.
3: And now Mm. we've got
2: May 31st and July Mm. 1st of their massacre of Greenwood. J.B. Stratford had one of the finest hotels you can imagine, and it said that he would have been Marriott or Hyatt or any of them today or even bigger Mm -hmm. from what he he started. Well, when they came and worked their way over into the Greenwood area, he was on the second story of his hotel, you know, armed and and ready to defend himself. Well, they talked him Mm -hmm. out of the building on a lie, he came out, he gets arrested for inciting a riot.
1: Mm.
2: And not a single one of those people were ever brought, any charges were ever brought up on him. But I'm going to run through a of short list of other of of towns that were like Greenwood, and I'll, I'll go through them kind of quickly. There was a oh, Haiti Lord. community in North North Durham, I'm sorry, Durham, North Carolina that's where the north carolina mutual life insurance was formed it was one of the richest black companies during that time um, and what they ended up doing there is like they did in black bottom here in detroit they run the freeway through it if they don't if they don't burn you out they'll run a the freeway through it all right all right there was J- jackson ward in richmond virginia fourth district in birmingham alabama booly oklahoma Then we know about Rosewood. We know about where there was Atlanta, Georgia in 1906, Libido, Louisiana, Oce, Oce, Florida, and uh, New Orleans. And some of these were early 1900s, um, right after the Civil War, but every single one of them were burnout on the alleged rape of a white girl.
1: Mm. That didn't happen. Didn't happen.
2: Oh,
1: sorry. Well, New York you know, City also. yeah, I, uh, a, you know, a lot of our wealth has been stolen uh, through the years, and uh, like you said, you know, our cities and towns have been burned down, uh, and so if, you know, uh, so there goes our legacy, and 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 then with it, our land has been stolen, um, and wealth, but and, oh man, for sure, wealth. You know, but there was a yeah. uh, a story uh, and I think I may have mentioned it uh before but uh sarah rector
3: uh oh,
0: yeah.
2: who
1: yeah. yeah, who became a multimillionaire oil baron at the uh young age of uh eleven to twelve years old um mm-hmm. and she was born as, as the daughter of a freedman in nineteen oh two Uh, And Mm -hmm. they say she rose from humble beginnings to reportedly become the wealthiest black girl in the nation at the age of 11. Now, Rector and her family Mm -hmm. uh, were African-American members of the Muskegee Creek Nation who lived in a modest cabin in the predominantly black town of Taft, Oklahoma, which at the time was considered Indian territory. Now, following the Civil War, Mm -hmm. Rector's parents, who were formerly enslaved by the Creek tribe uh, were entitled to land allotment under the Dawes DAWES allotment act of 1887 Now as a result hundreds of black children of Creek Freedmen miners were each granted 160 acres of land at Indian Territory Integrated with Oklahoma Territory to form the state of Oklahoma in 1907 so while the land was granted to former slaves, you know, usually um, the land was usually rocky and infertile. Uh, Rector's allotment from the Creek Indian Nation was located in the middle of the Glen Pool oil field and was initially valued at $556.50. Now, strapped the cash, they said, uh, Sarah Rector's father leased his daughter's parcel to a major oil company. In February 1911, to help him pay the $30 annual property tax. So two years later, Rector's fortune took a major turn when independent oil driller B.B. B. Jones produced a gusher on her land that brought in 2,500 barrels, or 1,005, 105,000 gallons per day, according to. Uh, the author of uh, *Searching for Sarah Rector*. Um, now it says Rector began earning more than three hundred dollars a day in 1913. That equates to seven thousand or eight thousand dollars today a day. She even generated eleven thousand five hundred sixty-seven dollars in October of 1913. So her notoriety ballooned just as quickly as her wealth. So in September 1913, the Kansas City Star, a local newspaper, published the headline, Millions to a Negro Girl, Sarah Rector, 10-year-old, has income of $300 a day from oil. So in January 1914, the newspaper wrote, Oil made any rich. Oklahoma girl with $15,000 a month gets many proposals. Four white men in Germany want to marry the Negro child. That they might share her fortune,
0: <laughs>
1: so meanwhile, sure, sure. the Savannah sure, Tribune sure. wrote right, right, so it says uh, uh meanwhile, the Savannah Tribune wrote, all well produces neat income, Negro girls a hundred and twelve thousand a year." Another newspaper dubbed her the richest Negro in the world. Her fame became widespread, and she received numerous requests for loans, money, gifts, for marriage proposals. So at the time, the law required Native Americans, black adults, and children who were citizens of Indian Territory with significant property and money were to be assigned well-respected white guardians. As a result, Rector's guardianship switched from her parents to a white man named T.J. Porter. So, concerned with her well-being and her white financial guardian, early NAACP leaders fought to protect her and her fortune, according to a report. So, it states, by the time she turned 18, Rector was worth an estimated $1 million, or about $11 million today. She also owns Stocks and bonds, a boarding house, a bakery, a restaurant in Muskegee, Oklahoma, and 2,000 acres of land. She eventually left Tuskegee and her family and moved to Kansas City, Missouri, where she bought a grand home that still stands today. Their directors mm-hmm. eventually moved into a home that was a far cry from the wealthy group two-room cabin in which Sarah began life. And this home place was a stately stone home. that became known as the Rector Mansion. So in 1922, she married Kenneth Campbell, the second African-American to own an auto dealership. The couple had three sons and were recognized as local royalty, driving expensive cars and entertaining elites like Joe Lewis, Duke Ellington, Count Basie at their home, and they divorced in 1930 and rector remarried in 1934. It said that she lost most of her wealth during the Great Depression. When she died at age 65 on July 22, 1967, she only had some working oil wells and real estate holdings. So that was Sarah Rector, that was the richest black girl in in the world at the time. And well, she was uh, she was actually she was the second one.
2: There was another Sarah. There was another Sarah before her. Okay. I, I didn't mean I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, there was I, no, when no, I was, no. When I was sharing with. You. With the young people, I'll tell them the t- there's the tale of two Sarahs. I'll tell them about okay. Sarah Rector. The first one was Sarah Breedlove. And that mm-hmm. name might not be as recognized as her name. She changed her name from Sarah Breedlove to M- Madam C. J. Walker. All right. She was, the, she was the first female millionaire. I didn't say black. She was the first mm-hmm. female millionaire that just happened to be black. All right. Yeah, her her, her her given name was Sarah Breedlove. Yes. Yeah. And she oh, she yeah. learned Ma- her hair her that yeah, Madam CJ Walker, she learned the um hair business from her previous employer. And uh, you know, she just took it and kinda of ran with it.
1: <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah, I think um Yeah, Madam C.J. Walker uh, definitely created her own legacy um, in regards. Now, the thing is today uh, with the blacks that had wealth uh, back in the late 1800s or early 1900s, you never hear about any of their families. Today, like you, you know, like the Kennedys and the Rockefellers, Mm -hmm. you know, all those names, you know, you associate with wealth. But uh, there's no black families that I can think of that have a legacy or generational wealth. Even, you know, Madam C. J. Walker, or you know, um, even. uh sale rector you know uh, mm-hmm. I don't know any mm-hmm. rectors you know that are that are rich or wealthy um or any um, uh madame c j Walker's family members mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. have been able to uh carry on her uh legacy and wealth. Mm-hmm. you know it's kinda like they they fade. They fade out, you know, and, and, you know, historically, um, the the society doesn't want us to know how great we are and how great we can be, so a lot of those stories are suppressed and rewritten Mm -hmm. or not talked about, you know, Mm -hmm. similar Mm -hmm. to what they're trying to do right now with uh, critical race theory and uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida trying to eliminate AP courses and, you know, certain books and, you know, between him and, and Abbott in Texas, you know, just want to rewrite history. Um, so um, I'm not aware of any families that have generational wealth like any black families. Um, I, oh, know, yeah. I yeah. You know, you know, plenty of white families and, and even the even the Kennedys, you know, John F. became president, but their family got rich from Prohibition, you know, selling uh, illegal liquor.
2: hmm hmm Well, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. You know, we, we want you to live to live in a segregated part of town, but when you do better than us, then we don't come through and destroy it. We don't want right. you doing better than us. You know well, but We don't want you yeah, with we're just flat out taking it, right? And now we want to whitewash it and act like none of that stuff ever happened. You know, um, there was another one in uh, 1848 that went on to become quite, you know, she did quite well for herself. Her name is uh, Biddy Mason. You familiar with that name? I don't believe so. Well, Biddy Mason, uh, Bridget Biddy Mason, in 1848, 30 years old, she walked seventeen hundred miles behind a three hundred wagon drawn uh, caravan from Salt Lake City to California.
1: Hmm.
2: Okay. And she yeah you know, saved her money as a midwife bought land and basically allowed that you know to use that land almost like a parking lot.
3: And okay. she created
2: her wealth. She created her wealth from that. Um, but yeah, that was uh, Biddy Mason. Uh, it's funny, uh, uh, Jackie. At uh asked me if, if I knew about him. but, yeah, I, I told the kids about it. You know, um, you, anybody have a ten cent a ten cent piece on them? A dime? If, if, uh, if you remember the, if. now. Okay. Well, next time you look at a ten cent piece, you can look at it with even more pride. The Over the there. bust on that ten cent piece is. Um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. That bus was designed by Selma Burke in 1944. Black woman. That's who designed the bus that's on the 10 cent piece.
1: On the nine. Okay. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, the, um, I was... Okay, um, who's on there?
2: I'm
0: sorry? Who's on oh, there? Oh, Frederick,
2: I'm sorry. Frank. FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. FDR. Okay.
0: But you said a black lady Selma.
2: designed it. Yeah, her name was Selma Burke. She designed. She right. she did the bust of of uh, Frederick. I'm sorry, I keep saying Frederick. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. She did the bust of him.
3: But okay. speaking
2: of Frederick Douglass, um, and I, I did I, I forgot about this. He was the first black man to run for president in 1848. <laughs>
1: Who was?
2: Frederick Douglass. Okay, okay. Yeah, Frederick Douglass ran for president in 1848. Later, the first female to run for president in 1872 was a white woman by the name of Victoria Woodall, and guess who she selected to be her running mate, vice president? Who? Who, Frederick? Frederick Douglass.
1: Yeah. All right. Yeah, so Frederick. Yeah, they elected Frederick to be the president of Freeman's Bank. Once it, uh, was getting ready to go insolvent solvent because they wanted to put a black mm-hmm. face on it, you know, to uh, you know, kind of
3: hide what was taking place. Mhm. I I, I
2: asked the I asked the young people and and even older ones, you know, we we've got the Black Lives Matter movement, which is not as as, as moving as much as it was you know a little while back but when you right. look into a see a picture of all these people in these black lives matter movement what what nationality do you see the most of white people exactly white people mm-hmm. and my point mm-hmm. is most of where we have gotten has been with the help of white people And I'll ask most people if they know any white abolitionists, and it's not a, it's it's nothing against them, but most, most, I mean, you don't hear about white abolitionists. They're not. That's true. Known, they're not. You know, nothing is ever said of them. And my point to that is Harriet Tubman, and, and there's more to her story, but she did not just go wandering to Philadelphia. You know, you think about it. Here's a, here's a young black woman that's going to Philadelphia. She had to know somehow some kind of way to get there.
0: Mm.
2: So mm-hmm. I learned with her, she used to be, her slave master used to lease her out to other plantations. Okay. And while she was at these other plantations, she was learning her way around, learning the land. And then somehow she came up with enough money to, have her, to, to give her slave master the money so she could lease herself out.
3: And choose okay. where she was
2: going. And while she was doing that, she became friends with um, sailors, black sailors. So if you saw the movie Harriet, there's scenes in there where she partners up with these with these black sailors, and that was part of it, okay. but it was because she knew her way. She knew how to get to Philadelphia. And uh, Thomas Garrett, a white abolitionist, was instrumental in helping her get to Philadelphia, where she met William Steele. Um, and ironically, that was in September, oh, I can't remember the year, it was like 1847, something like 1847, I think. But well, right before that, in March of 1847, that same year, Henry Box Brown, if you've ever heard that name, shipped himself in a box to yes. William Steele. mm Mm-hmm.
1: mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and with Frederick Douglass's case, um, William Lloyd Garrison was the abolitionist that helped him. Uh, okay. He had a newspaper that gave Frederick a voice. Um, they kind of fell out a little bit later because he didn't like how big. I don't think he cared for the way Frederick the direction Frederick was going in. But um, you know, he started his own newspaper and everything. But it was William Lloyd Garrison that helped Frederick Douglass. But of all the abolitionists, it said that Levi Coffin was the conductor of the Underground Railroad, and he helped to free over 3,000 enslaved. Levi Coffin. Where are these names in the the history books? You know, Hmm. If we don't talk about it like we're doing now, you never hear about it.
1: Yeah, that's cool. You no, know, that's that's so very true. So I mean, we have to, you know. I learned so much during February. It's it's, it's embarrassing, <laughs> you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, um, not to mention, you know, the 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 familiar uh, Martin Luther King and and um, you know Rosa Parks, you know uh, Harry mm-hmm. Tubman. Mm-hmm. Those, those you know those individuals that have been instrumental in our history. But um, you know when. Um, I saw that Diana Ross, the singer, the lead singer of the Supremes, her sister uh, was the first I mm-hmm. think black dean of a medical school. You know, and yeah, I, was, I wasn't aware of that. Real
2: challenge getting. Yeah, she had a real challenge getting in the medical school too. Yeah, right. she, they they did not want to let her in medical school. Yeah,
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah. I've got another. Um, piece of uh trivia for us have you ever heard of mm-hmm. boosters beach
2: say it again boosters
1: beach booth boos Bruce, Bruce. Bruce. like boost. yeah no, no, boos I, I, okay Bruce, uh, no, maybe no. once I, I tell the story you'll be you'll you may be familiar with it but in 1912 willa and charles boos brought a property in the strand area for $1,225 from Los Angeles real estate broker Henry Willard. They established a resort named for Mrs. Brooks. On property right by the sand, they ran a popular lodge, cafe, and dance hall. The development provided beach access to black people whose access to public shore was highly restricted. Other beach mm-hmm. attractions available to African Americans included Peck's Pier and Pavilion on 34th Street. This is all in California, a section of Santa mm-hmm. Monica State Beach referred to as the Inkwell. Uh, they made a movie about the Inkwell. And the Pacific Beach Club in Orange County. Now, Manhattan Beach was a predominantly white community, and, and Mrs. Bruce to defiantly transgressed these racial boundaries. As Los Angeles' population increased and in property values soared in the 1920s, black people in the area suffered from increased racial tension before imminent domain proceedings started by the city forced the club to close down. While some historians mm-hmm. credit George H. Peck, a wealthy developer and the founder of Manhattan Beach, for having booked the practice of racial exclusion, Peck created barriers to direct black out-of-town visitors to Bruce's Beach. To reach the ocean, visitors had to walk an extra half-mile around property owned by Peck, who had lined it with security and no trespassing signs. Under the the pretense of building a city park, the city of Manhattan Beach took control of the land from the Bruce family, and the buildings were, were razed in 1927. The city used eminent domain to acquire surrounding properties, including some others that were black owned. Couple sued mm-hmm. for one hundred and twenty thousand, which included thirty five thousand for each lot and fifty thousand dollars in damages. In nineteen twenty nine, they received a fourteen thousand five hundred dollars settlement. Some of the property, mm-hmm. including two of the Boost family lots, were transferred to the state in nineteen forty eight for Manhattan State. Beach. In the 1950s, city officials began to worry that family members might sue to regain their land unless it was used for the purpose for which it had been originally taken. So in 1960s, the property which had been vacant for decades was made into a city park first called Bayview Terrace Park, then Park K Parquet Sulican, Culiacan. In 1995, the state transferred a portion of the land with the booths Bruce's parcels to Los Angeles County in 1995 with the condition that the county couldn't transfer the property. The county then owned the entire block bordered by 26th and 27th Street, Manhattan Avenue, and the Strand, which was used for county lifeguard facilities and a parking lot. So what happened was at that point, I'm trying to uh, get through some of this. The Buse, uh Beach was an African-American beach resort at Manhattan Beach in Los Angeles County, California. The property where it was located um, was created to benefit the black community where racial segregation prevented them from enjoying opportunities provided at other beaches in the area. After it opened in 1912, it became a very, su- a very successful destination for the African-Americans. However, in 1924, the city, Manhattan Beach, Council, uh used eminent domain to close it down and redevelop it. Um, so the property that had been acquired by the Booth family and other owners remained undeveloped for decades. Uh, like I said, part of the site was eventually turned into a park in the 60s renamed Bruce's Beach in 2007. A lifeguard facility and parking lot were constructed on the beach parcels, but in 2021, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors voted unanimously to approve returning the county land to the heirs of Charles and Willow Bruce. The complex process of transferring the parcels to their great-grandsons were completed in 2022, However, it was announced in January 2023 that the Bruce family decided to sell the beach back to the county for $20 million. So that's a story that had a uh, happy ending. Um, mm-hmm. You, don't you know, to where, don't. no, no, mm-hmm. you know, the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors did the right thing and uh, decided to. Um, Give the land back to the family, they say, "Hey, you can have it for twenty million,
0: <laughs>
1: but that you know that's uh that's one of those uh stories that you <laughs> seldom hear about that has a happy ending, you know from uh ancestors and relatives that um were savvy enough and entrepreneurial enough to have been at the right place at the right time, purchased, you know, prime real estate, and um, you know, like like uh, like we said, it doesn't normally end that way. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, they just took their land by, you know, talking about eminent domain, and they were afraid that the city was going to, the, the relatives were going to sue because they said, hey, we're going to use this land for a city park, but for decades, they had never developed it. So when they got scared, you know, they they made a, a little park. But, uh, you know, when God's in it, you know, uh ain't nothing you can do about it. Huh. So that worked sure. out. And it, yeah, it worked out in, uh, in their favor.
3: Um,
0: so, we have uh, another White, uh, person. We have another ahead. person that would like to say
3: something. Miss Lucy Oh yes I would I'm I'm so busy enjoying what they have to say but I just wanted to emphasize to press to uh, make a point um I was listening to uh this one minister I knew from years back um, um Reverend Tom Skinner and he pointed out that um what was so interesting is that um from the beginning from 1619 how the uh, British, and they, what they would do is they would send, we had what we call the indentured slaves, indentured servants, and uh, mm-hmm. they packed, cleaned out the jails in England and gave it to the rich people who, in turn, bought them and sent them over here. And they would have to serve as indentured slaves for seven years. I mean, as indentured servants for seven years to, re, to develop the country. And after seven years, they could have their own. And uh, it went along for a while. But, you know, they had black uh, indentured slaves, indentured servants also. And what was interesting, mm-hmm. he said that people served. But then a lot of times the white indentured uh, servant would run off because he could, you know, mm-hmm. he could blend in and you wouldn't know. He said the problem is that the black person couldn't because, you know, our skin color. Mm-hmm. And he said uh, one thing now that was interesting he said that the entire state of Georgia was settled that way, the white indentured. Uh, and you can see the hostility even there now. But the white indentured served ever there, uh, uh, and um, which was interesting because he said people now you keep hearing about how this country was settled by the, the Christians and all of this, and they they were good and all this stuff, all this all this glorious testimonies about how they were settled about, about um, them being settled by Christian people and all of this and he said then in seventeen oh what was interesting in seventeen oh two because they kept having this problem with the white indentured persons that they started saying, Well you're not gonna use them anymore. We're just gonna use the black indentured person because they were you know, they would have to serve for seven years. There's nowhere you can go, you know. Then he pointed out that in seventeen oh two they changed it. And that's when they started lose the political system, the economic and also the religious system based on the um, the uh, Hermetic curse. And we all know about that. To say that the black people who are, were supposed to be enslaved in it, they, they were supposed to be enslaved anyway. And they used that to um, perpetuate the entire slave, uh, uh, system of slavery. And I thought that was very interesting to put it. And he was saying that later on, you know, they started breeding slaves. You could buy a healthy male for six hundred, maybe a woman. And then they started these Christian, so-called people, evangelical communities that we're having problems with now. Um, they're the ones that started breeding slaves. You know, considering you're not, you're not human, they did every and everything they could to say that you weren't human in the first place. But they bred them slaves. You know, one man, a healthy male, he could, uh, you know, uh, cohabitate with a lot of the black uh, females and had, they had children. Uh, you, know, they, you couldn't call a person father or mother. They didn't have that identity. So stripped of everything, they were just slaves. That's what happened. And uh, he pointed out peace. Um, People who were so-called, they keep talking about how they were so-called Christians, that they believed in this and the, all the Bible and things like that. And, um, but to show just how they kept going on and on, even until now, they consider you as property. Then he said when they had the Emancipation Proclamation, which was interesting, he said they, were, they just said they weren't slaves anymore, okay? That, not that they were people, they just weren't slaves anymore, and so uh, they said, now you've got the man, you have to live with your wife, you have to live this way, that way, you know. And he said they were surprised when the black culture started living that way. And they started having their own families, their own this and all of that. And they were moving fast, moving really fast. You know, he even pointed out how that we had a a, a governor, a black governor for Louisiana, which was interesting. And, uh, but we were moving very fast. And then, in seventeen seventy six when the um there was a problem with the uh presidential uh you know with uh was it uh, Brotherhood B. Hayes and who was the Tillman or someone that they got together and the Congress and they got together to try to figure it out. What they wanted to do was to let Brotherhood B. Hayes, You can be um president. We want you to pull all the northern troops out of the South. They said that they were, that the black people had to realize that they were moving too fast. They couldn't get them that fast. But they were. They were on uh, the congresses and the state government and all of this. And they were doing very well, you know, considering, you know, because, um, you know, they just went well. They were afraid of that. That's when, when they pulled the troops out. And it came to the compromise of 1877. When they pulled the troops out, that they allowed the... the uh, the uh north the east Southern um communities to deal with the black people, and that's when they pushed you back you know and it ended it ended the reconstruction that we had until you know so many years later you know about a hundred years later and he pointed out and I thought it was very interesting they were surprised that we were able to transition that you know to uh, take on the responsibility of a husband and wife children, all of this. We could run a country. We could legislate. We could do all of that. But I guess it's from their ignorance. But he pointed out one thing that I thought was good. He said they made that decision in a, a hotel and restaurant that was owned by a black man in Washington, D.C. So we were moving very fast. And it just, it, I guess it's to the point even now, that's coming doing some of the everything and trying to even remove the words black from from the uh like you say from the history book, there's no color at all. Nothing at all. It's just everything. But it's another move to keep you the subservient position. And I thought that was finish. I just wanted to share that. Well, How oh, we were well, able to well. move fast.
2: Do you do you, do you know years, who they attempted to enslave
3: first? Pardon. Thank your pardon?
2: I said do you know who they attempted to enslave First, before those indigenous, it was the
3: Native Americans, wasn't it? It sure was, and you know why it didn't work. And they weren't—they wouldn't put up with it. <laughs> no, well, not just that. that.
2: Is... They knew the—they knew the land, so they could mm-hmm. escape. Yeah. That—that—that's why it didn't work for them. They knew the land. That is um, true. Right. Right. Okay. After uh, after they were... the Civil War, and slavery ended, are you familiar with penit?
3: Yeah, the, yeah, the oh, piece the right. other Yeah, how they um. Oh boy. Yeah,
1: they
2: arrested um, They trying the to make P. you pay
3: so much, say you owe so much, or something like that. And they started putting them no, in. No, no. Um, what,
2: what 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 they did? What peonage was? Is they were just arresting young black people. Period. Didn't matter what they. You know, yeah. making up stuff, arresting them, and then put at leasing them out as slaves in the prison system.
1: Um, that, yeah. to do what
2: the slaves had been doing, you know, before. Yeah, yeah that was that was panic. Yeah, and and one of the one of the things that doesn't get discussed much too is uh, during Reconstruction, there was over two thousand black politicians, and you know they did not like that at all, and most of them were from South. not at all. Yeah, right. you're talking Mississippi, South Carolina, yeah. Arkansas. I mean, they were yeah. down there in the dirty. You know, you're right. when yeah. I, mean, I say the dirty, I mean right. well, we, you know, we've known as the dirty South. But uh, oh yeah, yeah. It, it, one of the things I want to point out too, real quick, was the um, the presidents. There were five, six, if you count the previous administration, that had direct ties to the Ku Klux Klan. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, three of them, three of them had overlapping terms. Uh, Woodrow Wilson, Harding, and Coolidge—they all had some overlapping terms. And Woodrow Wilson was probably the worst. He—he um, he was around during Red Summer. If you're familiar with Red Summer,
1: that was one oh, yeah. of the violent times. Yeah, 19, it was one yeah. of
2: the
1: violent times for black folks. You know, I mean, just a lot of riots
2: and and mass.
1: Yeah, I think we'll talk about it's that good. next week, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah <laughs> yeah but um, um but yeah i uh yeah i think uh just uh like to highlight one other person uh's kind of in the program on this note um it's uh a g Gasp. a g gas now a g um, do, uh Grandson of an enslaved person, A.G. <clears throat> Gaston was born July 4, 1892 in Demopolis, mm-hmm. Alabama, at the Tom and Rosa McDonald Gaston. His father died while he was still an infant. He grew up in a log cabin with his mother and grandparents, Joe and Idella Gaston. He moved to Birmingham in 1905 with the Loveman family, who employed his mother as a cook. Now, Gaston's formal education ended with the 10th grade after earning his certificate from the Tuggle Institute, which only went through the 10th grade. He served in the Army in France during World War One and went to work in the mines run by the Tennessee Coal Iron and Railroad Company in Fairfield, Alabama. So while working in the mines, he hit on a plan of selling lunches to his fellow miners and then branched into loaning money to them at 20% interest. It was also while working in the mines that he conceived of the idea of offering burial insurance to co-workers. He had noticed that the mine widows would come to the mines and to local churches to collect donations in order to bury their husbands, and he wondered if people would give a few dimes into a burial society to bury their dead. As a result, Gaston formed the Booker T. Washington Burial Insurance Company in 1920. Oh which became the Booker T. Washington Insurance Company in 1932. In 1938, Gaston bought and renovated a property on the edge of Kelly Ingram Park in downtown Birmingham, where in partnership with his father-in-law, A.L. Smith, he started Smith & Gaston Funeral Home. Smith & Gaston sponsored gospel music programs on local radio stations and launched a quartet of its own. Realizing that there were not enough blacks with sufficient training to be able to work in the insurance funeral industry, in 1939, he and his second wife, Minnie L. Gardner Gaston, established the Booker T. Washington Business School. His first wife, Crayola Smith Gaston, died in 1938. Other Gaston enterprises included Citizens federal savings and loans and associations, the first black-owned financial institution in Birmingham in more than 40 years. On July 1, 1954, Gaston opened the Age of Gaston Motel on the site adjoining Kelly Ingram Park. He says, because of his stance as a negotiator, Gaston often faced challenges by proponents from both sides of the civil rights issue. Gaston remained disaffected from Dr. King, urging him to stay away in a statement released in September 1963 after Dr. King announced plans to return to Birmingham to resume demonstrations, demonstration. On May 11, 1963, four people probably associated with the KKK attempted to blow up part of the AG Gaston Motel, where King and Abernathy were staying. The home of mm-hmm. Martin Luther King's brother, Reverend A.D. King, was also bombed. Later that night, the bombing sparked riots by African-Americans in the community in a 28-block section of Birmingham, 1963. The local police officers and state troopers responded to the crisis and subsequently beat rioters and bystanders. More than 50 people were injured as police were dispatched to clear Kelly Ingram Park. On September 8, 1963, unidentified persons threw fire bombs at Gaston's house. a day after he and his wife State dinner at the White House with President John F. Kennedy. On the night of on the night of January 24, 1976, Gaston and his wife were kidnapped and beaten by an intruder. And Gaston was abducted in his own car. Police officers found him two hours later, bound in the back seat of the car. They uh, say Gaston, A.G. Gaston, published a memoir in 1968, coinciding with the of A.G. Gaston Boys Club. He famously said, I never went into anything with the idea of making money. I thought of doing something and it would come up and make money. I never thought of trying to get rich. A.G. Gaston died in January 1996 at the age of 103. He left behind an insurance company, the Booker T. Washington Insurance Company, a construction firm, the A.G. Gaston Construction Company, Nothing, gas and funeral home, and a financial institution. CFS Bank Shares, the city of Birmingham, owns the motel, which it plans to make into an annex to the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, built on the former site of the Booker T. Washington Insurance Company. His net worth was estimated to be more than $130 million at the time of his death. In 2017, President Barack Obama designated the agent. Gaston Motel, the center of the Birmingham Civil Rights National Monument. All right, AG Gaston, hundred thirty million when he died, nineteen ninety six, and you ain't never heard of him.
3: course
1: <laughs> oh, and there's so many
3: some things you'll out never there. forget.
1: <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: there's AG so many gas. out there that like that. Yeah. Oh man. I yeah. like
3: yeah. Gaston. <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah, I'd like yeah. to, I, let's make like a let's.
3: Question. I, it's it's uh, uh um. What can we do in looking at our history, and looking at what seems to be going to be part of our history? What can we do within our black community? I think we should think of that more to be able to bring it to um. What can we do to help in our own black community? We've done it, you know. It was interesting for you to point out so many things we have done, and how and the results of it, but. Knowing what we know now, how can we make a, make a better future for the black community? if, well, if you don't mind. Yeah, I guess, yeah. You don't mind. Yeah.
2: yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. Uh, well, in, in my opinion, you, you yes, need sir. to know your history and your past so you know how to build mm-hmm. for your future. And there's so much of mm-hmm. our history that we don't know. You know, we stand on the backs and in the puddles of blood. Of our ancestors that have that were so much. I mean, who is as brave as some of these people are today? That were you know uh, uh, in the day. I can't think That's of anybody serious. today that would be as brave as with, as these people. But we need to empower our young people with the knowledge of their history. And and I think it starts there. That's just my opinion. I think they have more mm-hmm. pride in themselves, and we might have less black-on-black incidences and i'll I just leave it as call it that but I, I really that's just my opinion i really feel like if we can learn more about ourselves to give us more pride then that'll help us going forward
3: that's a, that's a good idea yeah now how can we do it looking at what's happening with them they even messing up the books things of that nature you know how can we you know well, do that
1: well one of the things that i thought about and I would really like to leave this legacy um, to the best of my ability. Is create documentaries on the history facts. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, create you know create documentaries, whether it's an hour, six part series, or whatever it is, uh, that will live. Forever, and and this is what we will teach our teach our people. I mean, it, it's grown people. I mean, I'm sure that some of these facts that we went over today, some people that yeah. are well over fifty, had heard for the first time. So you know, so I think you know, creating this history is not only for our, for our youth, but for for the adults as well. Uh, so mm-hmm. that they can learn and they can teach to you.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I think that that is that is something that I want to work on and create, and uh, and, and and that's the legacy that I want to leave. Um, that will help to educate us and moving us forward. Miss Lucy, yeah. that's yeah. my two cents on that.
2: Yeah. You're, you're, and your point is so well taken, uh, Mace. One of the one of the, um, and I've had the honor of going there. That has so much of our history is the Equal Justice Initiative. If you're familiar with that, this is in Montgomery, Alabama. Okay. Um, it was founded by Brian uh, the, Brian Stevenson. If you've heard that name. Brian Stevenson. If you've heard of the lynching museum, if you've ever heard of the lynching museum, this is where it, this is where it is. He has so much history there, and really needs hmm. the support of people to, you know, purchase some of the things that he puts out to, to, okay. to help get more of the information out there because it's out there, you know. Yeah. Hmm. Um, it's out there. We just don't know about. It. Were any of you familiar with that one? Initio- I'm sorry. Equal oh, dis- no, dis- I didn't hear it. No, I don't it's know that. One. I've heard
1: of that. I've heard of the lynching bell, though. Yeah. Well, it's on. That.
2: It's all in the same property. It's it's a it's an amazing place to see the the way they built okay. it now. But uh, the history. I've, I've got I've got four of his books. And uh, some of the calendars, what I like on his calendar is his name, like today. If I go go and pull up the calendar, it will tell me what okay. happened on this day and such a year. But aside from that, it's just so much history that's in his books um, mm. that I feel like that's, that's a great place to promote because it's already done. All right. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's already done. We It's just the word isn't What's out there enough. His name is Brian Stevenson. Um Okay. It, he did a movie. he was it was a movie made about him. Jamie Foxx played him. Um oh, where man. he got he uh, he got some kid he got not a kid, he got this got a man uh, got him out of prison because he was innocent. And that's what got kinda of launched him yeah. into
1: oh yeah into that the was initiative him? that he's in that was him, yes sir. Oh man, yeah, I, I saw the movie. Okay, wow. Yeah. What's the Stevens name of the movie? I yeah. ah, uh, can't remember the name of the movie. Let uh, me see,
2: I'll
1: tell you in
2: a second because I'm sitting in front of my computer.
1: Okay, yeah, I, I did see that movie. Um, What's the name of the movie? I'm oh, tell we're
3: you
1: in a trying second. to figure it out. Yeah, it's, uh,
2: I'll tell you, Just Mercy. Just Mercy. That was the name of the movie.
1: Yeah. Just, just Mercy. Mercy. And uh, Michael Michael uh, B Jordan. Michael B Jordan was in it as Michael well. Michael B Jordan.
3: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Michael B yeah. Jordan
1: was his attorney.
2: Brian I, I, did,
3: I did want to throw I,
2: I want to throw a name out there just just out of curiosity because it was brought up to my attention and I couldn't remember why. Does anybody recognize okay. the name Michael King? Michael King. Michael King, yeah no, not not the name. no, okay, well, you go hold on to your sock <laughs> that was martin luther king that was Martin Luther King's original name oh, I think he was what is it? Michael King jr it was Martin Luther King okay. jr, him and his father, his father senior was also Michael King. And he changed their names, both of their names, to Martin Luther. Um, one account was on a trip to Germany that his dad encountered Martin Luther. And then another story is that he took the names of his brothers, his dad. He took the names of his brother Martin and another brother Luther. So there's, you know, it's a little convoluted on how the name came about. But the point of it was that Michael King was Martin Luther's original name, was Michael King. No. Okay. Well, that's the Yeah. He, yeah. He, he, here's another one for you. You are familiar with um, Reverend Vernon Johns? Reverend Vernon Johns. So, okay, so I'll Reverend Vernon that. Johns was a, he is a civil rights activist, and he was voted into Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in oh. Montgomery. In 18, okay. 19, yeah, 1948, he was voted in as pastor of Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in 1948, Reverend Vernon Johns, and his civil rights activism made the congregation so uncomfortable that after his term was up after four years, they voted him out. They, you know, mm. and he was just, too, he made him too uncomfortable. And they voted mm. in as a new pastor. Guess who mm. they voted in? So oh. Martin Luther King Jr.
1: Martin Luther,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: hmm. so they went from the, the frying pan to the fire. Fry to the fire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah but, but that's 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 part of the story on Vernon Johns is is he was pastor before King. I thought I gave it away when I mentioned Dexter Avenue Baptist Church because that was yeah, King's first yeah, church.
1: He did. Mm-hmm.
2: but it was Bernie Johns, that was there first, that they just could not take his activism. They couldn't take it.
1: Wow. You, and know, hi, and, and
2: of, yeah, you know, think about this for a second, because when you were talking about Sarah Rector, I thought about this. She was in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. And one of the things I learned about Oklahoma was it was a territory. It did not want mm-hmm. to become a state because they knew if it became a state, it was going to bring the racist South with it. And ultimately, that's Mm -hmm. what happened. And that was what brought the downfall to to, uh, Greenwood because it was a territory. Sarah Rector, Mm -hmm. it was a territory. Oklahoma Mm -hmm. had all this oil. And these people, they wanted to come in and take over. But they made it, took it from being a state, I'm sorry, took it from being a territory to a state. And that's when they were able to take over with their racism. Anyway. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, and we'll continue this conversation next uh next week. Uh we'll talk about some good stuff as well. I think red summer will definitely be uh, a hot topic. Uh we can talk about all the uh, race riots that took place in the summer um of uh nineteen nineteen. Uh we'll go
3: we'll go through
1: that. And uh we'll talk about some other um some other uh trivia.
2: I'll tell you a decade that was worse than 1919. It was in the 1940s. That's where we had the most race riots, 1940. If <laughs> you check them out, after Detroit had their first one in the 1940s. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so it was 40, 40 44. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. If you check it out, there was race riots all over the United States in the 40s.
1: Yeah, I will uh... – uh we can uh we can definitely uh we can definitely have that conversation and uh I definitely appreciate you being the guest today, David Rankin. And very much. Thanks yeah, very
3: and thank, I,
1: you sure. know, thank you for having me. it's been my pleasure oh, yeah, man, I, I love black history. Yeah, I, I know think. you're passionate about I really, it I uh, I figured we would have a great conversation uh this afternoon. So I definitely appreciate you uh coming on and uh, uh we'll definitely have you back to uh talk about that and uh some financial services uh as well. We've got a lot of rich oh. a lot of rich uh retirees that listen to us. <laughs> that's that's yes, <laughs> and I'm <laughs> one
3: of them.
0: Right. right.
1: <laughs> anyway, it is too. They need to know what to do with that money, all that money, right. We was long to be I'm, 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 happy, I'm happy to share
0: this yeah, was a great show. This was a really great show. Very
3: much. Very
0: much. I got yeah. two pages full. <laughs> I've just been writing. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I appreciate Bye. you, um, very our much. guest. Our guest. I'm and glad he came. You. And Mr. Thank Coleman. You.
1: Thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I
0: just have to say you, you're you smart because I, I know well, your thank parents. you
1: parents.
0: Gonna... That's why I right, know. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, we're
1: going to have to get that. Uh, the, we're going to have to put a new battery in that smoke detector, too, that thing, that drive me crazy all, all the past hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh,
3: we're
0: going to
1: get a, a we're going to get a new battery in that smoke detector. But, uh, yeah, we had a great show. Appreciate it, David Rankin. Yes, we Thank you, we do. Thank you uh, right. for Ms. Lucy for participating as well.
0: Yeah. Thanks very and, much. <laughs> and what I'd like to uh, say is sometimes we must be hurt in order to grow. Sometimes we must fail in order to know. Sometimes we must lose in order to gain. Because some letters, lessons in life are best learned through pain. So don't be, get that. Okay. Sometimes okay. you have to be you have to be hurt. You have to be hurt. Yeah. So Okay. This yeah, a painful history. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh,
1: All right. Yes. Well everybody have a great weekend and
0: uh see yes, you guys I next week, same, time, same
1: place. Oh, yeah.
0: Yep. Okay. Uh, What's your name again, sir? David Rankin. David Rankin. Okay. Right, Mr. Rankin. I really uh, enjoyed you as well. I really did. I really did. So everybody, (laughs) those of you that, and I know you're here, but you didn't say anything. I know some of you are sitting there with your mouths open because you learned something. So next week is going to be the last Friday for February, so we can do something like this again. But right now I'd like to say thank you all for coming, and I just want to let you know that this is Let's Talk About with Jenny White. Good night. Good
2: night. <laughs> all right. All right. Peace and blessings to all.
0: You as well. See you in a week. So.
2: Yes. All right. Signing off. Thank you again for having me.
0: With Lucky Land you can get lucky just about anywhere.